Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 192 of the podcast for January 27th, 2014. My guest today is John Tarinas. He's the author of a really excellent book that came out a couple of years ago called The Company That Solved Healthcare. And that company, to set the context here, is Sarah Graph. And, and John is the CEO of that company. They're based in Wisconsin, uh, a graphics parts manufacturer, um, primarily in the auto industry with about $130 million in annual sales. And at this company, they've done a lot of really uh, innovative things to keep their healthcare costs under control while also improving um, the quality and the health outcomes for their employees. So we'll talk about related concepts, including consumer choice, consumer-driven healthcare, data transparency on cost and quality, and helping focus on preventive care to help, as he puts it, engage all employees in the healthcare challenge and creating what John also calls a grassroots revolution in healthcare. And another reason we're talking today is that John's collaborating with uh, my friends and the good folks at the ThetaCare Center for Healthcare Value uh, for a new workshop that they're piloting called Solving the Employer Healthcare Crisis. Um, I wish I had gotten the podcast out sooner. The, the pilot is actually being held tomorrow, January 28th. But um, assuming that goes well, hopefully this workshop will be held again in the future. And that, um, if you want links to John's book, to, to this workshop, and ways you can get involved in the future, go to leanblog.org slash 192. Well, John, hi. Thanks for joining us here on the podcast today. Good morning, Mark. So um, we've got a lot to talk about today. Um, can you start off by talking about Serograph and, and a little bit of your history there and what the company's done with Lean before we get into um, some of the discussion of healthcare? Sure. We're a, we're a mid-sized manufacturing company uh, in uh, the heart of Wisconsin, in West Bend, just north of Milwaukee. We make graphic parts. So if you get in your car and you look at your instrument cluster, we would make the face of your instrument cluster. If you if you buy a Whirlpool uh, clothes washer, we would make the control panel, all the graphics. And actually, we're moving deeper into the user interface. We make the structure and we do some of the circuitry behind them. So um, we're a parts company. and We have about 520 employees here and about another 500 in other countries. Um, so... In our health bill, uh, for those 520 people, comes to more than five million bucks a year. So it's our, our probably our second or third biggest spend. And one thing that really came through loud and clear in in your book was taking responsibility um, of of managing those costs, is is managing healthcare, I guess, as a supplier. So maybe talk about maybe how you got started taking on that challenge of, of trying to manage your healthcare spending and your, your employee health in, in different ways. What prompted that? Well, back in the, you know, I, I or back in the nineties, I was looking at this trend that, you know, where we we're getting double digit increases every year on the, on the private sector side of healthcare. It may have been in the seven, eight percent overall for the country, but the, but it was squeezed out towards the private sector, and we were seeing, you know, 10, 12, 15% increases. And it was in 2003 that I was doing the budgets for the company. I was still CEO at that time. I'm now chairman. Um, and, you know, we had about a $5.5 million health care bill, and we were looking at a 15% increase. So it was 800000 bucks for 
Oof. for 2004 mm-hmm. that we don't have. You know, we're actually in the in the world that I'm in, and I know you've been in that world too, Mark. Uh, I live in a world of deflation. We get a contract with a big auto company, and in the out years, you've got to have you have down down round pricing. So you you price the first year, and then you got to take it down three percent a year over the life of the contract. So that's deflation by definition. And I and there I was looking at my prices going, you know, averaging down every year, and my uh, and my my third biggest spend going up at fifteen percent a year. We just didn't have the money. Yeah. So I knew we had to do something. Back in the 90s, I had organized a coalition of, of local companies in Washington County, Wisconsin, which is north of Milwaukee, and I got 16 of them together, and we had 18,000 lives. And I was gonna, we were gonna assemble power on the on the buy side. By God, we were gonna, you know, we were gonna bring down the cost and the prices. Well, meanwhile, of course, the providers were smarter than we were, and they were they were assembling power on the sell side <laughs> at a far faster rate than we were. So they just roped the dope, and I was the dope. And so I spent the whole decade doing that, and uh, I got to the end of the decade and, and did a little uh, little checking as part of the lean process and realized that we hadn't even touched the trend. So my first instinct was to try to apply quality disciplines to to this problem, and uh, but I couldn't get anybody, any of the other members of the coalition to go along with me. They just wanted to chase discounts, and uh, discounts off of what? Off of rising sticker prices. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so I, I left my own coalition and, and started searching for, for better answers and uh, started talking to the smartest people I could find in Wisconsin and other parts of the country about you know how, what, what were they doing to get a hold of this. It was sort of a learning expedition. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, one of the guys I was talking to was Larry Rambo, and uh, he was the CEO of Humana in Wisconsin. And I, I'd been on podiums with him and complaining that, you know, the health insurers were, my, in effect, my brokers, mm-hmm. and they weren't helping me. And uh, so it and it got pretty heated, and yet we became friends. And he called me about the middle of 2003 and said, you know what we're going to do, John? We're going to take the 17,000 employees in Humana based in Louisville, Kentucky, and we're going to make them guinea pigs for HSAs, which had just passed a year earlier. Mm-hmm. Health, health, health savings accounts. Health, health savings accounts. So it was the first... So they were going to just make their employees into engaged consumers. So I kept pestering him through 2003. How's it going, Larry? How's it going? How's it going? And uh, he finally came back about mid-year and said, John, it looks like it's working. Instead of a 15% increase, we're going to see about four and a half. And uh, I said, boy, that's good enough for me. We're desperate for answers. And, um, and you don't need perfect information as a CEO to make a decision. So we just decided to be... Uh, another early mover on HSA. So January 1st, 2004, we put in a, a consumer-driven health plan. We used an HRA, a health reimbursement arrangement, instead of an HSA, but but it's essentially the same dynamics. And it worked. Uh, I did a snapshot about six months into 2004, and our utilization was down by about 17%. People were, because it was their money now, it was, you know, gave basically gave the money to the employees to, to spend on healthcare was their money, and they started spending it a lot more judiciously. Well, that's the sort of the origin origin of the whole thing. Yeah. So, so that first piece, maybe we can get into this a little bit more. Um, the consumer responsibility piece. This is the uh, the the, the HSA. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the dynamic or some of the examples of, you know, how um, putting that choice, that responsibility in the employees' hands led to you know different decisions or or, or better health and lower costs. 
Well, if you know, if you're a student of lean disciplines, you know that at the heart of it is you have to engage every single member of the organization and the, and, and the disciplines, the philosophy, and, and the knowledge. And so I, I looked at it at healthcare and said it's the same thing. I can't do this from the top down. I, certainly it takes top-down leadership, but it's got to also come, the change has got to come from the bottom up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you get if you have a $300 deductible, these are the old standard plans, and a 20% coinsurance, really um, the employee doesn't have much skin in the game. So it just appealed to me that we had to... We had to get the incentives and disincentives right. Now, human beings are not entirely economic animals, as you well know, but if you have misaligned incentives, you are going to get misbehaviors. And I always think back, one of the lines of my book is, I remember back when I was in the Marine Corps, um, we had Friday night happy hours at the officers' club, and they served martinis for 10 cents. <laughs> and I occasionally was overserved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no skin in the game. Right. So... It just it made sense to me that a good place to start would be with the number one the incentives and disincentives, and then couple it of course with um, with the engagement piece. You you've got to engage your people in helping solve problems, and and the healthcare uh, hyperinflation was a problem that needed solving, and you cannot do it without the without the the engagement of your of the troops. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did, and so we did a lot of education communication. Uh, the first thing they said to me was, "Okay, you made me into a consumer. Now, now give me the information. You know, it's one thing to, you know, put money in my account, but, but how do I spend it if I don't have adequate information?" So we immediately started a, a transparency model where we exposed um, the prices of procedures at the different hospitals and clinics around the region and tried to expose the quality metrics as much as we could. There wasn't much back then, but uh, there's a whole lot more now. So they became, you know, they started asking questions like, you know, how much is this going to cost? The doctors, you know, would respond, well, I don't know. You know, real disingenuous responses. Then you'd call the front office of the hospital, the clinic, and they said they didn't know. It was ridiculous. Um, So, but they started asking the questions, and we started unearthing the information, and they started behaving like, like adults, like they are in every other uh, economic segment of their life, mm-hmm. and uh, we started to drive the drive the costs into into some kind of a more moderate picture. We've had we the last ten years we've averaged our inflation's been at less than three percent. So, mm-hmm. and we're now operating at about forty percent under the national average. We're we're paying about nine thousand dollars per employee. The national average, according to Kaiser's, about fifteen to sixteen thousand. So you know, when you multiply, so that, what is that, seven thousand bucks mm-hmm. per employee times five hundred employees? I'm saving three and a half million bucks a year. Wow. I want to come back to the the question of you know the those measures of cost and quality and and helping drive choices around you know maybe where to go for care. But maybe let's talk first. You know, there's a big emphasis in your book um, about the importance of primary care over specialty care. Um, sounds like you know, like making it easier and more accessible, and and maybe that you know th- this comes back to some of the incentives. Can you talk about some of the things that you did um, to to help encourage primary and preventive care? Yeah, you know, I'm, I I said before that I'm a learner, and I am, but I'm I sometimes I'm a slow learner, and so we're into this. As I said, we got serious about this in 2003, although I've been flailing around back in the 90s, um, and. Uh, you know, about three years into it, in fact, I remember the, the moment. It was I was in the shower. It was July 4th, 2006, 
and and I'm starting to think about everything I'd heard at the seminars and everything you hear over and over and over again, wherever you go in the healthcare world, is 80% of the cost comes from 20% of the people who have one of the 15 chronic conditions. In other words, it's the unhealthy people that drive the nation's uh, healthcare bill upward. And it's the old 80-20 rule that yeah. applies in a lot of places. You hear, sometimes you'll hear 90-10, sometimes you'll hear, you know, 5, 5%, yeah. 50%. That's, so, but anyway, the, the, old Pareto the point is, a, yeah. yeah, the preponderance of the costs are in a, in a small part of the population. And so I went, duh, I'm supposed to be a professional manager. That's, that's my bag. And I've been spending the last three years, last 13 years of I count the 90s, trying to manage the 20 points. I should be over here trying to manage health, which is 80 points of the proposition. And so it just, you know, it's just a Pareto analysis, Mark. And uh, so the next the next week when I came back to work after the holidays, I, I sat on with my HR exec and said, uh, look, right, we just, we got to go after, we, we've got to start managing health. We'll never uh, get a sustainable uh, picture here until we start, managing health because that's where the health costs reside and so we just um we just decided to start so i said well what about let's start with diabetics it's one of the top three chronic diseases and uh let, and, and i sort of set out a, a challenge and said let's get a hundred percent of our diabetics under control and the sad statistic for the nation was only about a third of the diabetics follow their regimens well, strangely enough because it's it can be a very um very tough disease, you know, resulting in amputation, blindness, right. and of course high costs. So, and we were we were right there on the national average, and we just started putting measures into place. And we started with an incentive of a hundred bucks a month, no, hundred bucks a quarter, if ever if for a, a diabetic under control. Later, we shifted that, like a number of other companies have, to say that we'll give you your um, will give you your your insulin free if you're under control. And, it's, and the controls, the metrics are three blood tests, the A1C, the lipid panel, and cholesterol. And, uh, and so today, we have over 90% of our people under control at Saragon. And it's, it's, part, it's a lot of education, it's a support system, it's the incentives in the right place, and, and people start responding to it, uh, you know, year in, year out. So it can be done. Um, well, do you know what the national we, uh, average is for the percentage of diabetics that would have their condition Well, it's about a third. I don't think the needles move much. Now, no, it's moved okay. in companies that have gotten serious about it. Briggs & Stratton also has a, di a diabetics control program, and they're, they're up where I am, you know, a very high percentage of their diabetics under control. We've moved a lot of pre-diabetics out of, out of that category. I remember one guy coming in to me and saying, gee, you know, I just saw my, I'm, I just found out I'm pre-diabetic, and and, and he, so he just took it to heart, and, and but I don't know, six months later or a year later, he came in and said, hey, I'm, on, I'm, I'm no longer pre-diabetic. And I said, well, what'd you do? He said, well, I just started, he was overweight. He said, I just started, he lost 60 pounds. He played tackle football in college. Mm -hmm. And he lost 60 pounds. And, and I said, did you do anything extraordinary? No, I just started walking every day and watching my diet. And mm -hmm. bingo, I'm, you know, it's, it isn't always profound stuff, but it's, but it's one engaged employee um, by another, you know, and, and repeat it over and over again. So the, the stuff can it, this stuff can be managed both at the at the managerial level, but also down at the personal level. Now, do you still have, as you described in the book, if I remember right, um, the on-site clinics and, and free primary care and free preventive care to re to reduce the barriers to uh, to people 
um, getting exams and tests and yeah, we do. And, uh, you know, I'm going to sort of fit this into a mosaic here. What I'm, what my basic thesis in my second book, which is just coming out in the spring, is that there's a whole new uh, business model being formed in the United States in the private sector for the delivery of health care. It's a whole new disruptive business model, an innovative, disruptive business model. And, and one of the pieces, of course, is self-insurance. The next piece is get the consumer-driven thing in place. Uh, next one is get after chronic diseases. The next one is transparency, which I talked about. You got to know what the prices and the quality metrics are. But the the one that another one that's stampeding across the country is is large employers, uh, for sure, and even now middle sized employers are putting in their own uh, primary care clinics. And if you think about it, what's happening there is basically the large employers are saying, "Hey, the existing business model." Just isn't working for me. You know, you, you big hospital corporations say you're vertically integrated, you've eliminated handoffs, but anybody who's been in them knows that that's not true, right. and uh, with a few exceptions. And so they're say, basically saying, hey, um, this is a, I'm going to look at this as a supply chain in business terms, and I'm unhappy with my vendors and my supply chain, and we're going to take back the front end of the supply chain, namely primary care. Yeah. So they set up their own clinics with their own doctors, contracted usually, you know, contracted doctors, and so now it's 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 my doctor, and we have a, such a clinic here at Sergraph. It's part time, but I have three doctors on site a half a day a week, and we have a nurse practitioner, we have a dietitian, we have a chiropractor, we have a nurse coach. Um, so in so it's my doctor ordering the tests, and he always orders generic drugs. It's my excuse me, it's my doctor ordering the prescriptions, which are always generic. He orders the tests only as necessary. If anybody in this world knows that we over-test like crazy. The fourth, you know, uh, he, he orders the admissions in collaboration with the uh, patients, and he orders the specialists, but only when necessary. So, in effect, you're back in control of the supply chain. Yeah. So, so it has, there's two big levers going on on cost there. So, you're controlling the supply chain, and, and my doctor is only ordering services as necessary. He's going to the, what I call the centers of value, which are the guys that offer the best prices and quality. But on the medical side, he's getting super serious, uh, proactively serious about, about healthcare of, of the workforce. And, and the problem with the American medical system is it's, it's a reactive system. When you've got a problem, you, you know, you've got a symptom, you go in, they fix your symptom, they fix the issue of the day, and then you're out of there. Right. Well, that's not the – and you get a six- to eight-minute visit, literally, with your primary care docs. Our, you, our docs are with their people 45 minutes, and they're, it's holistic, and it's longitudinal. They're looking at the whole family history over time. And they're managing health for the long term. It's a completely different philosophy of delivering primary care. In the big systems, the primary care docs are the gatekeepers. They're the loss leaders. They're the you know, they're even bonus to make sure that the expensive procedures happen inside their systems. In my in our system, the the employees will have a long term interest in their own health, and and the company which has a long term interest in their health, and their doctor who has a long term interest are all in alignment about long-term health of the, of the individuals and in the workforce as a whole. So it's a completely uh, different business model for the delivery of primary care, and it fits into this larger model uh, that's a disruptive model for the, for, for the delivery of care in America. Yeah. Now, the, the, the impact on 
the pocketbook of the employees. Um, can you talk about the, the balance between things that are, are free, a lower cost versus things where they, they may have higher or higher deductibles part of this approach? How, how does it net out for the employee? You know, it's win, 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 win to about the eighth power for the <laughs> yeah. employees. I mean, they just come out every which way. Um, if you think about it, first of all, the primary care is free. You know, we make it totally for the docs are free. And by the way, there's going to be a shortage of primary care docs come January 1st when all those new people jump onto the onto the insurance rolls. So it's free, it's free prevention and wellness. Um, they're, they're, because they're staying healthy, and because we're buying right, they've got lower charges against their deductibles and against their co-insurance. Uh, they're getting a build-up in their health reimbursement account, and, and it carries over. Um, they are missing fewer days of work because they're healthier. Um, they um, their morale is better because they're they're healthy. And when when morale is better, typically people are more productive, so mm-hmm. they're probably going to be in line for raises and promotions more likely than a than a person who's unhealthy. In retirement, this is one of the statistics I unearthed uh, when I was up in upstate New York. They connect health and wealth, and they, 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 they did some analysis and shows that a the healthy couple in retirement spends about a quarter of a million dollar less than an unhealthy couple, which makes perfect sense. So in other words, it's just win-win-win up and down the line for the employees. And I, and I might add that when we manage these costs, I manage... I and my employees manage them. To, we manage them together. I manage total costs. I don't imagine. I don't manage the employer costs. I manage total costs because I'm concerned about the pocketbooks of my employees, just mm-hmm. like I'm concerned about the bottom line of the company. So let, let's talk um, a little bit more about the the centers of value and um, you know using data um, incentives for employees. To make choices that that may you know, give better outcomes for them and, and lower costs for you as a, a self-insuring uh, employer, you know, I think it's really fascinating reading the book. Think, you know, a lot of times people think about uh, quote unquote medical tourism of sending people halfway around the world, and it seemed like you were sending people just up the road in Wisconsin, or that there's such great opportunities um, to make better choices with their own state or within within the U.S. Can can you talk more about how that approach and, and how it works and the types of better decisions that are being made. Yeah, it's probably just a matter of time, Mark, until medicine goes global. In fact, you know, the statistics I've seen, 750,000 Americans go abroad for services and typically stuff, out-of-pocket stuff like plastic surgery um, or people that are uninsured and, you know, need a new hip and they'll go to India and buy one for 5,000 bucks. Um, but um, I, we were actually a part of a, a medical tourism experiment with Blue Cross, and so we said, "Yeah, we'll we'll send our people to uh, to the famous Apollo Hospital in Bangalore." And, and IBM was the other company doing, but nobody went. It didn't work. You know, people just aren't willing to travel that far. At least my employees. So, but what we did do is when we were unearthing the quality metrics and, and the price metrics, we started to see these monumental variations in price and quality. So and literally, and I'm not exaggerating, the variation on prices is as much as 400 percent. You know, we can buy a, a hip at the best um, orthopedic hospitals in the region for about 28,000 bucks. Well, you can pay over 100. The average in Milwaukee in the Milwaukee region is about 47,000. So the prices vary all over the place, and the bell-shaped curve on on, on quality performance is also all over the place. You know, some hospitals have very high rates of infections and readmits, and others 
some of the lean hospitals, and I think you're familiar with some of them, Mark, um, have literally driven the infections out of their out of their operating rooms. That's astounding. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm just um, obsessed about the infection uh, rate of hospitals. Mm-hmm. I had my own hip replaced in 2006, and that's I went. I talked to five different orthopedic shops until I found the one with the lowest rates of infections, and that's where I went. So, so. I would pose a question to the other CEOs in this country. Don't you have a moral obligation to steer your people to the best providers? In other words, if you just let your people go anywhere, they could go to Dr. Hack or, 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 or some hospital that has a high infection rate. Don't you have a moral obligation to, to acquaint your people with the, right, the best places to go? So that's what we do, and um, we're, um, we actually will say to our employees, if you'll go to one of our centers of value where they have low, low prices and, and high quality, uh, we'll give you a check for 2000 bucks. And so we actually give them part of the savings. So let's, we just bought three hips. We dropped two hips and a knee, and we paid 28000 a bundle price, by the way. They can do that. They say they can't, but they can and but another guy decided one of our employees I don't know who it was for, because of HIPAA decided to go buy one for $43,000 at another hospital. Well, it's 15 grand difference, you know. And I'm in this I split the cost 75% employer, 25% employee, so he cost his fellow employees and the company an extra 15 grand. And he wasn't even going to the best shop in town. Now, it turns out that his the surgeon he had was a good one, but um, anyway, so we just incentivize people to not do that. Uh, this guy ended up paying a couple grand more because he maxed out his deductible, and he, um, you know, it cost him a couple grand. To, he, he cost him a couple thousand dollars more, and he and he forewent, if that's a verb, he forewent two thousand dollars for you know that we would have rebated him. So, um, so that's how we do it, um, and uh, we just go searching the best providers. By best, I mean the highest quality. And by the way, they typically end up being the lean hospitals. Here's here's one for you. I just got to throw this in, and I'm sorry to interrupt. But um, there, what we're finding through the Wisconsin Collaborative on Healthcare Quality, there, the old conventional wisdom was higher price means higher quality. Well, I saw an article in the Wall Street Journal about six years ago where they sent a radiologist out with a black belt and an investigative reporter, and they found out they did. 10 scan shops, and they found out there was absolutely no correlation, no correlation between price and quality. But what's emerging today is, as as some of these hospitals go lean and get their act together, is that there's an inverse correlation. In other words, if you're going to go get your heart bypass, find the cheapest place you can find, because the low price guys are also the high quality guys. They're in that upper left-hand quadrant. If if, if quality's on the y-axis and price is on the x, there are guys now operating, and a good number of them operating in the, in the upper left quadrant. Amazing, huh? Yeah. Now, have you been able one of those lean hospitals? And you know, I've interviewed John Toussaint and, and Dean Gruner, and uh, you know, from ThetaCare, and, and listeners are probably pretty familiar with the ThetaCare story. Um, since you're down the road from Appleton, have you been able to to partner with them, being part of the supply chain, the value chain for for your employees' health, or I'm I'm curious what chances you've had to work with them. Yeah, we're we're north of Milwaukee, about 45 minutes, and we used to most of our people used to head to Milwaukee for their surgeries. They're now sending them north to Theta Care because it's lean, um, and they've driven the infections out of their operating room in Appleton Memorial. I've been up to see their their report outs on Fridays. It's incredible 
how engaged their employees are in eliminating waste and defects. Across the street from them, they've got a good competitor called the Orthopedic mm-hmm. and Sports Institute. They also have very, very low infection rates. So I just had a my meniscus fixed, and I went up there because because they you know the infection rates are so low, and we got a bundle price going in of about seven thousand bucks. So I'm doing it, you know, I'm I'm walking the I'm walking the talk. I'm doing it myself. <laughs> yeah. And so we're now steering north. We're starting we're now steering north of West Bend, where I live, instead of south to the big hospitals in Milwaukee. I want to talk a little bit about um, other employers, and, and we can talk about the workshop you're doing with the Theta Care Center. Um, but ha- have you seen these ideas, um, some of the you know, practices from, from Serograph, spreading to other employers? You mentioned Briggs & Stratton. Um, what, what, what do you see in terms of trends um, going on out there? I've been in a lot of these shops and talked to a lot of these uh, CEOs and executives in the companies, and what, uh, my contention is that there's a grassroots revolution going on across the country, shaping up this new business model. And it's moving very, very fast. So just a couple of data points. Um, you know, there's like now 40 million people covered by HSAs or HRAs, and there's another 30 million that are on high deductible plans that don't have the offsetting. So you got don't have the offsetting HSA. So you got 70 million Americans out there who have high deductibles and some of them offset with savings accounts. So these guys are engaged consumers. Well, that's an army of consumers that didn't exist 10 years ago. The HSAs are just 10 years old. So that's one example. Um, about a third of the large corporations now have their own clinics in place, and that's just racing across the country. Um, the centers of value, um, you've probably seen some of the news. Pepsi just cut a deal with Johns Hopkins to send their elective surgeries yep. up there. Geisinger's has got you know 10 or 12 major corporations that are sending people their way. The Cleveland Clinic just signed up with Lowe's and, and Walmart to, uh, to do their elective surgeries. So this, this search for value is uh, for value-based healthcare is, is rampant in the land, at least in, in the private sector. Uh, now it is even starting to, to seep over into the slow-moving public sector. The government agencies don't move very fast, but some of them are. So Indiana has, has done uh, consumer-driven for their own employees. Our local school district here in West Bend um, has its own clinic and is consumer-driven and is, has self-insurance, and they're delivering health care for 98.50 an employee. They're saving about $10 bucks a year on their 1,100 employees. So it's starting to at least seep into local government and state government. It hasn't obviously penetrated the, the national debate yet. Yeah. And so maybe, you know, uh, well, it's, uh, you know, John Toussaint is trying to help influence the, um, the national debate, um, you know, hopefully for, through your book and your speaking. And this class of the Theta Care Center, you'll, you'll be able to help influence, if, if not the national debate, at least the employers who are coming um, to that workshop on January 28th. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about the workshop, um, you know, who it's intended for, the, the types of things that, that you plan on covering? Yeah, John Toussaint and I and, and some of our executives and our on-site doc are going to run a full-day seminar on the 28th of January, and we're inviting private company um, managers, executives, CEOs in to, to learn. It's like I, I sort of say it's like a three-year program to get to best practices. You can't just jump all the way in it at once because it's a, it's, it also involves a culture change in your organization and you can't just uh, wave a magic wand and get that done. So you sort of start with, you know, with uh, self-insurance and then you move into the consumer driven. So this is a one day seminar and John and I are just going to walk people through a, a three year game plan to, to get the best practices. 
And if they do, they can save, you know, 20, 30%. You know, the, the on-site clinics have been proven to save 20, 30% of your healthcare bill. There's been five longitudinal studies that prove that consumer-driven plans um, save 20 to 30% of your bill. These are big numbers. So you can knock your, your health costs down, assuming you're not doing anything right now. You're under-managing. You can knock 20, 30, 40% off your healthcare bill. And I mean that's and improve know, and improve <laughs> and improve your workforce health. There's so, the, there's the. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say. I mean, so I mean, do you, do you get incredulous responses where people would say either on the one hand that thirty to forty percent just couldn't be possible, and and that you're going to have lower cost and better quality? I mean, how, is there kind of that you know kind of disbelief that that prevents uh, some leaders from from looking more deeply into this? Or, yeah, you do get that. It, it is a little bit incredible, and you can't just do it. As I say, you can't do it all at once. You gotta, you gotta move uh, consistently and managerially through this, through these, to these best practices. But it can be done. You remember what happened in the auto industry? I mean, the, the, basically the mo- the mantra of Toyota was cheaper, better. Yeah, cheaper, better. You know, and, they, and, and, and it, it, it's counterintuitive unless you know lean disciplines. You know, lean disciplines drive out waste and they drive out defects. Well, as your costs come down, your prices come down. So yeah. quality goes up, prices prices come down. And and so why would healthcare be any different than any other segment, any other econ- economic segment of our of our of our country? It, you know, it's not. It it it's, it follows the basic. You know, way down at the bottom of this is is, is why I feel so good about this, why I know it's so valid is because it's based on fundamental principles, almost on philosophy. You know, you're keeping people healthy. You're relying on marketplace dynamics, i.e. a search for value. You're getting the incentives and disincentives lined up. You're engaging your people in in solving the problems of, of, of your corporation. So it's all just... It's all based on good human psychology and good good marketplace dynamics. Well, I hope people will uh, definitely check out uh, the workshop. Uh, people can go to createvalue.org and um, find uh, the link to the workshop. I'll also post it on uh, the blog post for, for this episode. If listeners want to go to leanpodcast.org and find the episode page, it should be right up near uh, the front of the page if you're listening to this in late December 2013 or January uh, 2014. And and I really recommend um, checking out John's book, um, The Company That Solved Healthcare. It's available uh, on, on Amazon, I see it here. The new book coming out, it looks like it says April John, The Grassroots Healthcare Revolution. Can you tell us um, a little bit about that book before we wrap up? Yeah, you know, the first book, Mark, was a story about how one company tackled this stuff and sort of stumbled its way forward, learning as we went. And the second book is, I've been all over the country talking to people about this, and it, it's best practice from lots of different companies about what they're doing. So, for instance, IBM stresses medical homes, and, uh, and Hewlett-Packard stresses, you know, prevention and wellness. And uh, I, I mentioned Lowe's and, and Pepsi looking for centers of value. So they're all doing different pieces of this. But when you put all these pieces together, which is what I do in the second book, you get a mosaic, and you get a what what amounts to a new business model for the delivery of healthcare in America. I want to leave you with one Eurometrics guy, and so am I. Leave you with one metric. So, we were sailing along through 2004 on our hospital admissions at about 71 per thousand, 
And then we put our clinic in, and we went consumer-driven. And, and all of a sudden, in 2007, it started to fall off. We're now down around 35, 40 admits per thousand. In other words, we've cut our hospital admission rate in half. Wow. Uh, that's something. Yeah. So the the virtuous circle of this thing is is you get your cross down by by improving workforce health. I mean, what? How does it get any better than that? Well, it's 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 a great story, and I want to thank you, John, for for sharing that not just uh, in in your books in different ways, but um, here with us as a guest on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mark, for having me. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.